Pastor Today with Andy Brownell and Tom Ostrom on News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Good morning. It's Rochester Today. I'm Andy Brownell, News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. It's Thursday, and that means my friend Tom Ostrom joins us. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Andrew. Good to have you back here for the program. Uh, it's good to see you too. So, uh, what's in the mailbag? Branco. And this is true. Uh, Joe Biden is doing this. Uh, so, uh, someone is saying to Joe, hey, the, the, Texas is busing illegal immigrants to Washington, D.C., and, and New York, and now they're to sending them to Delaware. And then Biden says, quick, quick, build a wall, build a wall. Yeah. Right. Around my house, around my house. And that's what Biden's doing. He's building about a $500,000 wall around his lake home. So not not for the southern border, but for himself. And then, Andrew, I was having lunch at Chick-fil-A. Oh, OK. Because, uh, you know. The liberals have been trying to close them down. They're conservative, uh, traditional values people, and uh, they're very popular. So I'm having lunch with a chicken sandwich and a bowl of soup, and a and a uh, an employee walked by, and I she said something, and I said something to her, and she said, "You're Tom Ostrom. I recognize your voice." <laughs> She's a gray-haired lady, and she listens all the time. She. Her background was in office uh, work, office management, and works part-time there. And, and uh, <laughs> her husband is an engineer, and she just said she loves the show. And she was worried during the COVID that the station would close it down or close us down. And she said, I and some friends are ready to write a letter if that happened. <laughs> well, I'm glad it wasn't necessary. <laughs> yeah. So that's Janet. And then Ryan is the, they call them uh, directors, not supervisors or managers. Ryan came over and commented too on the show. And then he gave me a gift card. So <laughs> I went back and drove through, <laughs> got it. But anyway, we have friends in lots of places, Andrew. Well, that's nice. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. And uh <laughs> Uh, I sent my uh, September column to you, and uh, hopefully it gets posted on Saturday. You're so busy. Well, I think uh, I think it, because of the holiday, it'll be the following weekend, Tom. Okay. Okay. Uh, and what it is is uh, I write about the decline of academic history and my experience as a high school and college instructor and how I've seen the, the teaching of history diminish into anti-American history. Um and then I have a section that Powerline did. Powerline took the column of the head of the American Historical Association, a Dr. Sweet, and he said in his American Historical Association editorial what I said. I like to teach biographical history because that gets you into that period of time and the knowledge from that perspective doesn't put contemporary ideology back into history and blame them for not writing what the liberals write today. And uh, and uh, that's my philosophy. You should be fair to the time in history when people lived. 
and and his that's what he said and he's a liberal and he's head of the american historical association and powerline has traced him and powerline said he's going to get nailed a couple days later powerline writes another column the historians the left wingers went after that guy they want him replaced they want him banned uh, and and uh, he, he finally apologized for having that opinion. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can learn. I can learn. That's what's happening in history. Oh, my gosh. It's all of that, Andy. That's frightening is what that yeah. is. Yep. Woke. Uh, and then uh, Karen <laughs> sent a copy of the U.S. Constitution <laughs> in, in uh, Attorney General Garland's uh, <laughs> office. <laughs> And, and most of it's redacted. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then from Rose, she's so concerned. She's a very devout uh, religious person, and she's just uh, scandalized about teachers grooming and trying to control the sexuality of children and depriving parents of what they're saying and teaching and even doing. And she said, NAMBLA, that's the North American Man-Boy Love Association. Lambla, Lamb, uh, NAMBLA is quiet now. They've got the educators and the liberal media doing their grooming for them. And uh, years ago, if teachers got involved in these things, they would have been fired or they would have been labeled a sex offender. And uh, now the liberals are saying crime is happening because there's no father in the house. Is that the next move for... Uh, people uh, to move in and say, we are the fathers now, we'll replace that. And uh, uh, she's worried that that's going to happen and that government will then move in uh, and and these other uh, folks and say, we'll be the fathers of families. And she said the traditional family nucleus and background is is the traditional family and it's, it's really being threatened. Uh, Rose, went on with about a lot of things but she is really serious and concerned about it at the classroom level tom the teachers i know and i know more than a few they're not they're not involved in any of this they're this and they'll tell you that it's not happening but i mean that, that's anecdotal and i know i always go against anecdotal so there i'll admit that yeah. um so i wonder how much of this is overblown i i don't have an answer to that i'm, I'm asking it as a sincere question well, it's happening in some schools and the unions are endorsing it and teachers are quoted for what they're doing and uh, and even school boards are depriving parents of the information. It's not happening in Rochester. I don't think it's happening in rural schools, but the teachers aren't speaking up against it to, that I can read. But how, how, how pervasive it is, Andy, uh, you're right. Uh, the alarmists and the people who give excuses are out there and uh, who's who's truthful and who's accurate? Uh, yeah, we got to. Yeah, check. it's all. And some of the fears that Rose expressed about the nuclear family. Either I don't know if specifically I'm commenting about what she was talking about, but of course, on a general scale, I think it is threatened. I mean, you look at how more and more households in this uh, nation are single-family parent households, and uh, it seems to grow every year. And I see seems because I haven't looked at the latest statistics, but. I don't know if that would be the specific threat. I think it's more of a, uh, I don't know, a disintegration of the ties that hold families together. And, and I think I think more and more people are recognizing the adverse effects of that. And I, I think that there's going to be a a swing of the pendulum 
in the opposite direction. It may take a long time. That's just my feelings. Mm-hmm. But there, there's going to be a lot of pushback. That, and already, we're already seeing signs of the pushback against what you what you term the woke, the wokeness, <laughs> or no wokery. That's it, wokery. Yeah, we're already seeing a pushback against that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh, well, well, yeah, we have to be cautious, but uh, ever vigilant, Andrew. All right. Is that it for the mailbag, Tom? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. We will take a break and return with more of Rochester today in a moment on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. This is the Family Service Rochester Mental Health Minute. I'm James Raby with Andy Brownell and Tom Ostrom on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Rochester today, uh, Thursday morning, we continue. Tom Ostrom's here. I'm Andy Brownell. And what's next, Tom? Or what do, what, what do you want to start with? Well, uh, Alpha News uh, did some research uh, in Star Tribune commentaries and columns, and uh, they went back to 1993, and Keith Ellison, who's now our attorney general in Minnesota, uh, and in the past, uh, Ellison uh, wrote that that, uh, uh, capitalism exploited labor, and there's no such thing as blackest uh, b- uh, black capitalism. And then he said, whites that are concerned about crime and and black crime, uh, they're racists, and they are simply uh, experiencing white hysteria and prejudice. Uh, and other columns that he wrote, and taking on the Star Tribune even for criticizing him, and saying blacks should have their own part of the United States, and. Uh, and, and black-white interaction should be minimized. And uh, so he said some things in the past. And then uh, endorsing Farrakhan, the Chicago uh, left-wing uh, radical of the, of the, of the Muslim uh, black movement. And uh, so he's written some uh, silly things. And he's defended domestic terrorists uh, and even a cop killer. And they named the guy that killed a cop that he uh, stuck up for Hopefully, uh, he has changed uh, with his position as attorney general, but he comes from a radical past. Yeah. Alpha uh, traced it. But he has, um, since those days, um, denounced Farrakhan um, and more or less says those were his misguided beliefs while he was under the influence of Farrakhan and that he has changed his ways. He has said that. Especially when he's been asked about it on the campaign trail. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. And uh, I won't elaborate on this. In fact, I was going to skip it, but uh, uh, Powerline did an article on on gubernatorial candidate Republican Dr. Scott and on Waltz and on their meetings uh, on the fairgrounds with people and uh, uh, Waltz's avoidance and and Waltz's... uh, short fuse when he's confronted but you covered that last time uh, well, with your news uh, connections uh, with with uh, Minnesota journalists who covered the same thing so I won't I won't go into detail well, I'll yeah. offer some more on that because the state fair is continuing and this is the big weekend um, Walls is catching some flack now for some of his statements that he made during an interview um, last Sunday and I believe CCO TV up in the Twin Cities and when he was asked about the COVID policies during the um, school lockdowns and 
um, criticism of parents about educational policies related to COVID. He came up with uh, what most view is a rather fantastical statistic that 80% of the students missed 10 or fewer days of actual in-classroom instruction. Well, the question was about the entire pandemic, and he never qualified that at all. But his staff later said, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. He was only referring to the last school year, not the whole pandemic. But people kind of raised eyebrows on that one when he came up with that one. And he also, uh, I saw that he was also questioned about the um, nursing home situation from COVID and defended the nursing home situation where people were discharged from hospitals with COVID, you know, had been treated for COVID in hospitals, but had been stabilized. This was in the early days of the pandemic as well. And we're sent to nursing homes where obviously we saw what happened in the nursing homes. You had the most vulnerable population you can imagine where their own families were not allowed to visit them, but then you created wings of these buildings where people with COVID were being cared for. And, um, I, you know, quite a few, I think it was over 5,000 of Minnesota's 13,000 deaths due to COVID occurred in these long-term care facilities. And uh, he didn't back down on that at all. He said, based on the information they had at the time, that was, they thought the best course of action. So I thought that was interesting because I would think with some hindsight, I would have looked at that and said, we we probably would have done something a bit different on that one because on the surface, it seems a little bit non-commonsensical. That's actually a word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that, that's about what I have to say about that. Uh, Jensen is supposed to be making quite a few appearances this weekend at the fair. I know he's been out there the whole time. Well, uh, he is. He's uh, like you say, a lot of people don't know who he is, but those who do like him and he's evidently having a successful fairgrounds uh, appearances so we'll see what happens uh, more on teachers uh, the the, um, the the Minnesota professional educator licensing and standard boards whose members are appointed by the governor is revising its standards of practice for the teachers licenses and uh, what new teachers have to agree to and do And according to the Center of the American Experiment, the changes will impact teachers' licensing programs. What they have to do is require educators to, quote, demonstrate ideologically driven content to get their teachers' licenses uh, on racial consciousness and uh, uh, discrimination and equity. uh, and, and, And what it boils down to is they demand that teachers show that they can be agents of social change. Nothing in there about academic uh, rigor and teaching them reading and writing and science and math and literature and history, but but they have to uh, show that they are making students agents of social change. That is just ridiculous. Now, John Dewey, the great educational philosopher of the early 20th century, that's what he thought schools should do, too. He was the father of so-called progressive education, this kind of gibberish uh, at the early 20th century. Well, uh, his philosophies have caught on that students are to be indoctrinated to be agents of social change. That's ideological. That's not academic, uh, in my view. And, uh, and of course, uh, the American experiment and 
journalist Evan Stambaugh uh, have latched onto that and what the details are that uh, those that control teachers licensing uh, want to encourage new teachers to be and demonstrate if they're going to be licensed. So to me, that's the ideological stuff, as you say at the, no. uh, you know, hmm? I'm not disagreeing with you that it seems, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem it, it should have a place in that. It seems that if a person is a qualified teacher, regardless of their ideological or philosophical beliefs, they should be able to teach. If they were to sway somebody one way or the other by their example of their character, that that's one thing. But to have it actively be part of the curriculum, I can see why many people would object to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did read an article on a related note, Tom, not about the teacher's licensing part of it, but... Um, it was about teaching reading and how the latest Minnesota report card and the comprehensive assessments show that uh, our skill level of reading among students statewide is a little bit frightening, to say the very least, and especially frightening for those uh, students of color. They, they are faring worse than any other group. And this person who wrote this article was calling for a return to pure phonics to teach reading and presenting the argument for the youngest children learning how to read by sounding out the letters and learning to associate, well, phonics, like most of us did learn how to read, those of us of a certain age at least, and how during... And I wasn't even, you know, I, I don't even understand this, that now reading is going back to phonics, but it's not pure phonics. It's still relying on this association with uh, images and uh, different prompts that you would be able to figure out the meaning of a word by having an association with it. Like a picture of an elephant, you know it's an elephant. Well, you might not know how to pronounce elephant at all, and you might not be able to use your knowledge of what an elephant it is to figure out another word, which you can with phonics. So it was really interesting that uh, despite um, a national rejection of what had been previously used as what you would point to as a progressive teaching method, um, it still persists that the resistance at, at many classroom levels to adopt pure phonics is still there. And this person who wrote that said, we're paying a big price for that. Well, we are. And phonics and traditional English and grammar has been dispensed with in a lot of English classes because they say it's racist because minority students evidently uh, don't master uh, the king's English. And so they say to hold them responsible for that is racist. So the, the laxity and standards have diminished. And it's in phonics. And it's another thing. My, my, my wife uh, in her teaching career taught phonics and she taught cursive writing where people learn to write uh, legibly. Uh, but, you know, I often uh, think progressive teachers are all lockstep and I, I criticize them. But in this article, uh, Elsa Richardson is quoted on what she thinks of all this. She's a K-5 English teacher, English language development. Now, that sounds to me like she'd be a liberal teaching that stuff. But she said this. She said, I serve diverse families and uh, we want to teach them traditional English. This is refreshing. And she said, I'm not sure which diverse uh, families and multilingual families 
accept some of this uh, gender identity, sexual orientation, and anything goes uh, with academics and diminishing academic standards. Many of the families I work with are diverse. Um, and I can't uh, in good faith say that they agree with some of this. Uh, my multi-language learner families want their children to learn uh, English and be academically sound. And uh, that's in the best interest of everyone. So that's a refreshing comment from a, a teacher that I would think would have progressive tendencies. So I got to watch my stereotyping. Oh, there you go. And with that, we do have to take a break for news. We're actually a little bit behind time. So we'll take a quick break and return after the news with more of Tom Ostrom on Rochester Today. News Talk 1340, KROC AM at 96.9 F. Holiday Fuel Day. Today, Tom Ostrom is the guy who's back. I'm Andy Brownell. Tom, what's top of the list for us with national news today? Well, the the, the military academies are just getting woke uh, again. And uh, the Coast Guard is too now. And the commandant of the Coast Guard is a female. So I suspect... Uh, the wokeism will be encouraged. <laughs> at the, you better watch yourself on the stereotypes there, Tom. Well, again, but stereotypes are based on experience and generalities. <laughs> There's something to them, you know, <laughs> but, but, but I can go overboard. You're right. But the U.S. Coast Guard Academy, this is at a time when employers are, are, are trying to hire back the unvaxxed people that have lost their jobs. Yes. They say, we want the experience now. We want them back. We need them. And so... What does the Coast Guard Academy do in New London, Connecticut? Unvaxxed Coast Guard cadets were given 24 hours to vacate the campus. They can't go to class. They can't change jobs. It's too late to register at other colleges. These are these are cadets that have passed their uh, intellectual exams, their engineering exams, their physical fitness exams, but they are asked to uh, vacate their careers and get off campus and. Uh, uh, as as soon as possible, and the cadets are appealing, and but they don't want to be disenrolled, and they're asking for religious accommodations. But uh, they they have to they have to leave uh, and uh, get home on their own and pick up their lives uh, the way they can, just because they weren't they weren't vaxxed, and they're behind, of course, in their classes now at the academy. And how do they pursue another career? And so. And the, and the military is is really getting a lot, rid of a lot of people on those grounds. Uh, the the uh, West Point uh, U.S. Military Academy is the U.S. Naval Academy is, and uh, losing a lot of good people. While in civilian life, uh, employers are trying to get some of the unvaxxed people who were displaced back on the job. Andy, well, it's not just the civilian areas either. Hennepin County as a whole has dropped its vaccine requirement. That after losing the number of People with great deals of a great deal of experience who went into early retirements, and at this stage of this pandemic, um, I don't think it's wise. I'll just say that. All right, I mean, I, you know me, I'm fully vaccinated, and I'll probably get a booster. But I, from the statistics I have read, and the opinions of some medical experts, the vast majority of people who were not vaccinated have had COVID. And have some level of antibody protection. Now, are they are they protected against a new strain? No, they're not. But neither are you. If you've been vaccinated, you're in the same boat. That's right. So, uh, I, I could see that a year and a half ago, maybe you'd be there. But uh, today, I think there's a 
an emerging opinion on this that this COVID virus is going to be with us forever. It's going to be something we're going to have to live with and deal with, and we're going to have to get on with our lives somehow and make decisions on our own, which I know which was the opinion that was expressed by a lot of people uh, early on in the pandemic who were roundly criticized for that opinion. So it's, yeah. Yeah. And you're ecumenical about it. And you're a man who likes freedom of choice. And uh, the liberals often say, my body, my choice. And, you know, but uh, on, on, the, on, the, on the vaccine, they weren't that way. But uh, we're not discouraging people from being vaxxed either. No. That's a personal choice. And, uh, but again, uh, the politics of it and the science of it and the health safety of it, uh, the, the arguments continue. They will continue. But on the other part of this equation is all the branches of the military are having a rough time finding enough people. Yes. And it seems illogical at this point to kick people out while you're trying to attract people. So, yeah, right. Right. And some uh, cadets uh, at the academies uh, um, are leaving the academy on their own because they don't like the woke classes and the things they're supposed to say and believe. So, uh, yeah, the military is having having recruit problems for lots of reasons. All right. What's next? Well, uh, Biden, President Biden, the great unifier, uh, the governor of New York has told uh, conservatives and Republicans to get out of New York. Well, that's just what New York needs because thousands of people are leaving New York on their own. Just like in California, the U-Haul business is so busy, people trying to leave California. Well, so Uh, much for inclusiveness. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) right. So Biden now uh, and his press secretary, uh, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, they're on the same page. Uh, and they're asked by reporters to comment on it. And Biden is calling uh, Trump supporters fascists and Republicans fascists and mega people fascists. And he's going to give a speech soon uh, elaborating on that. And so press, the press secretary was asked about that by reporters. Uh, do you really think that your ideological opponents are fascists? Uh, that brutal uh, World War II philosophy the, uh, of Germany and Italy and and uh, and the press secretary says, well, that's what the president thinks. That's what we think. The president says that uh, Republicans are attacking our democracy, threatening our rights, our voting rights. And it's very clear that uh, he has not shied away from saying that. And uh, that, to me, that's a hate-filled philosophy, uh, condemning half of the population, half the voters, uh, to these derogatory extremist uh, statements. And that's what the uh, Department of Justice uh, has tried to paint uh, Republicans as and parents who go before school boards to check on things. And, and they're saying that it's Republicans that, uh, that use violence. Well, what about Antifa? What about BLM? They don't seem to have been concerned about that. And it all started with Hillary calling uh, her political opponents. But that's not uh, Andrew. That, this is devastating. I think the Democrats are trying to get people's minds off uh, failed Democrat policies, but labeling half of America as enemies and insurrectionists, uh, uh, where will that end? I don't know. It's not good. That's for sure. And to and to paint such a broad with a, such a broad brush, um, also I'm going to use the term seems illogical when you're running into a midterm election that. Um, 
Oh, but you see it all the time. It, it, I, I, it doesn't matter anymore. If, if there's a disagreement on policy, and it could be a legitimate disagreement on policy, we've had a disagreement on abortion in this country for 50 years or more. Uh, so if you come out with a, oppos- a, a proposal or a position that is opposite of abortion on demand all the way up to birth, you are now labeled as an extremist or a radical. Mm-hmm. So I, it, it seems as it has become the knee-jerk reaction to anything that runs counter to what the president and his supporters wish to push through, that no matter what it is, you are somehow pushing a radical or extreme agenda. Now it's going to be a fascist agenda. That can't work forever, that <laughs> idea of that, because enough people are going to go, wait a minute. If I have any just sort of disagreement with you, I'm going to be labeled something. It's it, it, I can't have a principled position in opposition to whatever it may be, whether it be the student loan forgiveness program, whether it be uh, whatever infrastructure bill you may have, whatever proposal you put forward. If I stand up and say, no, I don't support that. I'm a fascist or an extremist. It, it seems like an ill-guided political strategy to me. And it, and I, I personally hope it backfires because I hope this is the end of this. I hope this road we're going down where we're just throwing punches back and forth can finally come to an end because it's, it's not good for this country. Well, it's an attempt by Democrats, too, to just make people who disagree with them be quiet so they won't be labeled sure. uh, and attacked uh, physically, uh, let alone uh, philosophically. But... Uh, fascism uh, historically by uh, sensible historians here are some of the definitions of it fascism uh, a political philosophy and movement that exalts the nation and often the race they say above the individual uh, but nationalism is more important than individual rights and uh, and it's for it's centralized autocratic government headed by a dictatorial leader that crushes dissent and its severe economic and social regimentation and forceful suppression of the opposition. Well, that sounds to me like what Democrats are doing, uh, some of them, and uh, and some of the groups they endorse. Uh, and as usual to me, Democrats are, these radical Democrats are accusing people of doing, in fact, what they do. But, uh, but, if, but if it's gotten to the point where the president of the United States is, that's become part of his belief system. I, I So once again, a crowd of, I remember, I don't remember how many were there, 6,000 people were there on January 6th for the rally. Mm-hmm. Thousand, so, all, yeah. so all of them are fascists. Mm-hmm. All, I mean, it, it, you had, you had a large number of people who stormed the Capitol and did bad things who are being prosecuted, hopefully most of them for their actions but to say everybody in that crowd was, I don't know. It's, it's a bad road to follow. Let's put it that way. And I hope, I hope the president rethinks it before he goes too deep into that hole. And remember now, for years, since 2020, we had uh, riots against police officers, again, yeah. Antifa violence and, and BLM violence. Uh, uh, and, and Democrats were, A, strangely silent about it, or B, uh, cautiously endorsing it. Well, you also had the the same example. You had 
up in the streets of Minneapolis, tens of thousands of people protesting the death of George Floyd. There's no way all 10,000 of those people participated in the rioting. A small yeah. fraction of them did. And I, I think rightfully not enough of them have been prosecuted for what they did. Some have been. But to point to blanket blame all of them for what happened is, is just as bad in my view. Enough of that topic, I guess. Oh, okay. <laughs> or I'll label you an extremist. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Well, sometime I well, am. I, I, I just hate to see our politics go to this level where even the president of the United States is participating in a situation where he's basically saying, don't debate me. Because if you debate me, I'm going to attach this derogatory label to you. And I know people come back and say Trump did the same thing. And I think he should have been and is being criticized for doing the same sort of thing. I think it was wrong for him to do to you to do some of the name calling that he did when he held the office. Well, and then people said they didn't like Trump because of his mean tweets. Well, my gosh, look at the mean tweets coming yeah. out of the Democrats now. And then their social media allies that ban any counterpoints. Yeah, even if they're not nasty tweets, they may just be a difference of opinion and they get twisted off as disinformation yeah. or... Well, yeah, we could go on and on. Let's move to a different topic. We uh, we still on national news? Yeah, we got a couple minutes, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Senator Grassley and Congressman Jordan have been successful. Uh, their whistleblowers have uh, uh, said more things about the FBI. And Attorney General Garland has told his agents not to talk to Congress now. This is alarming to him that whistleblowers are coming forward to tell what's wrong with the FBI. Garland is warning his agents not to do that. He doesn't want any more of that. But it has happened that an FBI agent, Tim Thibault, who opened up the Trump investigations and was involved in anti-Trump emails and everything else, has finally been asked to resign from the FBI. His career is over. And I think Ray and Garland thought we got to do something with somebody to quell the criticisms of the FBI. And so he was escorted from FBI headquarters. And uh, the news says uh, he was fired uh, or he resigned. Uh, he's gotten himself a lawyer, though, and he's going to fight this. But his his he was up to his neck and anti Republican and anti-Trump and pro-Hillary uh, activities uh, and and uh, documents and emails that uh, he handled that were quite suspicious. And so he's lost his job. So I think Ray, uh, I think, and Garland have found a, a scapegoat in one agent, but there are more than that. But Garland doesn't like these whistleblowers. All right. I'm sure by next Tuesday when we chat again, there'll be more developments concerning the Mar-a-Lago case or not. (laughs) We'll find out. But we'll take a break. We'll come back and uh, continue with Rochester Today with Tom Ostrom on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. This is Rochester Mental Health Minute. I'm James Andy Brownell and Tom Ostrom on News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Welcome back. Rochester today on a Thursday morning. Tom, uh, we saw yesterday or the day before the passing of Mikhail Gorbachev. And boy, did that bring back a flood of memories for me. Those were amazing times. 
uh, when Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev more or less negotiated the end of the Cold War. And you got to tilt your hat to Mr. Gorbachev for opening up the Soviet Union to a free press, uh, actual elections, actual parliament, actual court system. Uh, He laid the foundation for what could have been a wonderful outcome. And unfortunately, it didn't work out well in the end, mainly because the economy of the Soviet Union collapsed. Largely, in my view, largely because the people in control, the bureaucrats, went to allow his market reforms to take effect and they wanted to hold on to the centralized economy because, of course, that's where they got all of their goods and their money from and their ability to live and their DACAs and take their Crimean vacations and everything else. But it brought on the utter and total collapse of the Soviet Union, which brought on Boris Yeltsin, which brought on Vladimir Putin. And here we are today. And the Soviet Union or the Russian, the nation is moving in the opposite direction that Mikhail Gorbachev wished it to move. And I always remember distinctly the day he came to Minnesota to visit at the invitation of Rudy Perpich. And it was in June, and it was snowing. And the motorcade, I remember seeing the videos of the motorcade moving through St. Paul, and the snow was coming down. Oh. But, uh, but that was, you know, it was exciting times. The, uh, mm-hmm. the Berlin Wall coming down. We, the whole world was full of so much optimism. That's right. And it showed Ronald Reagan was a great president. Uh, he outreached to our adversaries uh, as, uh, very successfully as Nixon did, and Gorbachev was congenial. He wanted to modernize Russia and democratize Russia with his glasnost and perestroika, free speech, Uh, and uh, he almost democratized the Soviet Union into Russia, and now, as you said, there's Putin trying to reestablish the Soviet satellites, and uh, Gorbachev was sensible. And he came to visit with Reagan, said, tear down this wall, and Gorbachev did. Gorbachev came to the U.S., and they made uh, treaties of trade and and, uh, armaments. And uh, uh, he was a a a congenial, gentle man. And Russia would be different today if he had prevailed. But as you said, other forces uh, outfoxed him. I'm I'm surprised Putin hasn't had him assassinated because of the role he played. But... uh, he was a congenial, sensible man trying to improve things in the Soviet Union uh, and relations with the West. Uh, I remember him being here, too, and he and Reagan getting along very well at the White House and traveling together. Uh, that was kind of started by uh, Khrushchev uh, uh, later. Khrushchev tried to do some of that, uh, too. Uh, but but then... Uh, uh, Eisenhower got involved with the U-2 incident and all of that before that. But uh, there are two, two, two leaders that tried to improve, but this man really did. Yeah, he did. Well, he, he did. He changed the world and by bringing about the end of the Cold War. And we're obviously dealing with the ramifications of that still because of uh, events that uh, took place. I mean, it. Uh, I guess it could have been foreseen, but at the time it wasn't that somehow the two superpowers locked together in this struggle of 
uh, or stalemate kept at bay all these other conflicts that have caused so much pain and bloodshed in the uh, preceding 30 years or whatever it's been now. Has it been? No, it's been 40 years. Oh my gosh. No, that was 90. That was it late. So 30 some years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. About 1991, the Soviet yeah. Union, these reforms, uh, uh, he even opened up Soviet archives uh, to uh, U.S. historians. But, yeah, the, the the collapse of the Soviet Union for that, those repercussions of and and the people who didn't want to change the, the system there. Uh, and all they did was help make their nation collapse. And I do remember unrelated to Gorbachev, but I guess related. But Boris Yeltsin came to Rochester at some point in the mid 90s after he assumed power. And that was when uh, King Hussein of Jordan was being treated for cancer at the Mayo Clinic and was living in the suites, as they say, at St. Mary's Hospital. And Boris was here in the United States for some reason and made the trip from Washington, D.C. over to Rochester to pay a visit to uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. Mm -hmm. Wow, crazy times. Mm -hmm. Now we're out of time, speaking of time. So... <laughs> we'll have to wait until next week to continue our discussions. I look forward to that. And you have a great weekend. Good, a great holiday weekend, I better add. Yes, you too, Andrew. All right. Tom Ostrom, I'm Andy Brownell. It's News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Are you watching your retirement savings melt away right in front of your eyes?